so, after being gone a couple of weeks, Glenn and I have been living the retired life, but we're ready for chapter 15 in Romans, chapter 15. And now we're in a position where Paul is kind of winding down the book. These are closing remarks. Uh, the first section uh, that we're going to look at today uh, talks more about his past mission activity. And then by the end of the chapter, he's talking about what he wants to do in the future. But as we talked before, the guy that put in the chapter numbers and the verse numbers, um, well, the old story was he was in a bug in. Every time he hit a bump, he put a number in. Chapter 15, the beginning of chapter 15, really is still discussing what chapter 14 was. It's really not a good place to break, because Paul is still discussing this. So as we begin 15, um, we who are strong have an obligation to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. I want to go back for a minute because it's been two weeks since you uh, had Bible class. What's, who are the strong, who are the weak? Now, the strong and the weak, Paul is speaking to the congregations that existed in Rome. And those congregations were both Jew and Gentile, converted Jews and Gentiles. That presents some problems. Now, Christ made it clear in his ministry that all foods are clean. Okay? Not what goes into a person that makes them unclean. Okay? It's what comes out of the heart. So he had declared all foods clean. Also, um, Feast days, uh, Sabbath days, all of that were now fulfilled in Christ. So basically, there are people, especially Gentiles, who believe that the dietary laws of the Old Testament and the keeping of feast days and Sabbaths is no longer applicable no longer necessary because they have been fulfilled in Christ. But then there are, and they were probably predominantly Jews, people who believe that they still should have observed the dietary laws and the festivals. Those are the ones referred to by Paul as weak. The strong has accepted Christ as the fulfillment of all this, and he was not, uh, they were not keeping these things any further. Now, this could obviously cause a problem in the church, because there are those that want to do this, and there are those who are ignoring this. 
So his statement is very simple. We who are strong have an obligation to bear with the failings of the weak. And what Paul is saying here is, you've got to watch out for your brothers and sisters in Christ and don't do anything that would hurt their Don't do anything that will hurt their faith. The strong has to watch out for the weak that they will not hurt their faith and not to please ourselves. In other words, so the strong ones say, uh, I can do what I want. That pleases them, but may not be best for the weak, okay? For those who are still adhering to Old Testament regulations. The strong should not strike back when they are falsely judged. If the weak say, how dare you do that? They are not to retaliate against them. They are to bear with their brothers and sisters. They may even need to do some of these things to prevent offense. So if you got somebody coming over to dinner and you're going to order, you're going to serve squid, you're in trouble because that's against the Old Testament dietary laws. And if you know the people are coming to dinner, don't want to do that, then don't aggravate the situation. Take their feelings into account. And Paul is saying this to try to bring unity to the church. Now, what we're, what we're talking about here is the whole matter of dealing with things, and they're not even as, as uh, pointed as this. I mean, the Old Testament laws, they were valid. It's Christ that changed that. But it's also dealing with things that we call adiaphora. Now, adiaphora are things that are neither commanded nor forbidden in Scripture. Neither commanded or forbidden. And what Paul is saying is these things should not be a cause for division in the church. But they sometimes are. They sometimes are. What color are we going to paint the sanctuary? And there's the blue side and there's the green side. Okay. And it gets all blown out of proportion. And it hurts people's feelings for no. So. Uh, that's what Paul is really warning against. Don't bring division to the church over minor things. He goes on. Let each of us please his neighbor for his good to build him up. Okay, we're in the process of supporting, encouraging, and building each other up. That's the task. 
For Christ did not please himself, but as it is written, the reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me. Jesus Christ was doing what his father wanted him to. Was he reproached for that? He was. Okay. And so, if you are doing, people here that consider them strong are doing things that the weak uh, don't agree with, and the weak condemn them for it, that reproach is falling on them. They're doing nothing wrong, but that reproach is falling on them. For, for whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction that through endurance and through the encouragement of the scriptures we might have hope. All right. So how do the strong deal with this? They need to be patient. They need to be encouraged. The whole church does. The point here is this. The source of that encouragement the source of that patient endurance is scriptures. Is the scriptures. When we're trying to deal with issues in the church and with one another, where do we turn the scriptures? It is the scripture that is both the source and the empowering motivation so that we treat each other with love and respect, no matter what the differences may be, okay? Especially of these things that are of minor, minor uh, importance. May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another in accord with Christ Jesus, that together you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. I want to look at the, the, the whole thing here about harmony, okay? I want to focus on harmony. Now, what it's actually being, what's actually being said here is that Paul is trying to build unity, Okay. Unity. And he's trying to do that by promoting harmony. So I'm going to paint a picture of what the word harmony means. The real thing here is that everybody has, in the body of Christ, in the congregation, everybody has the same view of the purpose of that church. Now, the purpose of the church is to spread the gospel of Jesus Christ to the world. If everybody's got their eyes on that, what the word harmony means is that we are all focused on the same purpose, but that doesn't mean that we all have to agree on everything. 
Okay? On everything. Because we have our eyes on higher things of why we're here. Why we're here. So that the small things don't get in the way. And even though there are people on different sides in anything, um, in any event, don't let them sidetrack you, cause division in the church. <clears throat> don't let it happen. So, um, many things can cause this. I've heard some weird stories of what's divided churches. I've seen horrible fights over, they changed the communion wine. It tastes different, okay? That's always a good one. Um, I want my service at eight o'clock, not at 8.15. And I could go on and on. Those are the kinds of things that if they become the focus rather than why we're here, they're going to cause problems. They're going to cause problems. So the harmony he's talking about is let's keep our eyes on Christ and what he has set us forth to do and not make issues out of small things. Yes. That is correct. Uh, Lori is right. She said, what he doesn't talk about is that the devil is constantly trying to bring up those things to cause division in the church. And that is true. That is true. If he can do that, he's going to do it. He's going to disrupt the unity. And we've all seen that happen at times, but we, uh, that's what Paul is addressing here. And the reason he wants that is uh, we'll get to in a little bit. And he wants, in one voice, everybody to glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, welcome one another as Christ hath welcomed you for the glory of God. Okay? So, you were welcomed. You were welcomed into... Christ welcomed you. Okay? You were a sinful being... And Christ welcomed you. Okay? So welcome others. Have the same welcoming attitude as Christ did when he welcomed you. And that's what glorifies God. That's what glorifies God. There are no exceptions when it comes to that. Now, I want to read a very famous passage that you know that really illustrates this, and this is from 1 Corinthians chapter uh, 9. 
And it's Paul speaking. For though I am free from all I have, made myself a servant to all, that I might win more of them. To the Jews I became as a Jew in order to win Jews. To those under the law I became as one under the law, though not being myself under the law, that I might win those under the law. To those outside the law I became as one outside the law, not being outside the law of God, but under the law of Christ, that I might win those outside the law. To the weak I became weak, that I might win the weak. I have become all things to all people, that by all means I might save some. I do it all for the sake of the gospel, that I may share with them in its blessings. That's a good way to summarize what Paul is trying to say here. To bring harmony to deal with people no matter where they are, no matter with what baggage they bring, to get the message of the gospel to them. To get the message of the gospel. Christians serving fellow Christians. That's what we're talking about. And being discerning enough to not allow things, little things, to bring about division and to stand in the way of the gospel. Yes, but... That's what Jesus did. When Jesus was reproached for doing what his father told him to do, he did not strike back. I mean, James and John wanted to call down the wrath of God on these cities, and he wouldn't let them. The reproaches fell on Jesus, and he accepted him. That is what he is talking about that he wants us to do. And that's not in our nature, because we can't tend to get defensive when we're put in a position like that. But his, his attitude goes to the entire uh, uh, mission effort of winning souls for Christ. Winning souls for Christ. And that, and that spills over. It's not just what color you paint the sanctuary if you change the communion one. I'm sure that we could have, we've got some missionaries here. I'm sure we could have them tell us there are certain things in certain countries you don't do or you lose all chance of winning them for Christ. All chance. So we are to be sensitive to these things. All right, eight. For I tell you that Christ became a servant to the circumcised to show God's truthfulness in order to confirm the promises given to the patriarchs and in order that the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy. These two verses paint a very clear picture. Christ came to serve both Jew and Gentile. It was not just 
for a select group of people. It was not just for one or the other. It was for both. And then he gives a series of four Old Testament quotes to support this position. Now, one of the things that we need to realize is the Gentiles being included was not just something that happened in the New Testament age. Gentiles being included was prophesied throughout the Old Testament, talking about how the Gentiles would come to Christ also. Paul is saying these things so that there is <coughs> no doubt whatsoever that this is God's will and has always been God's will. So we look at the first one. And the first one is a quote from Psalm 1849. Therefore, I will praise you among the Gentiles and sing to your name. Okay? This is actually saying that God is going to praise Christ to the Gentiles. But we can also interpret this as the fact that this is what Paul's doing. He praised Christ, the Gentiles. Okay? And so this was in the Psalms. So Paul, as the chief spokesman to the Gentiles, could certainly apply this to himself. And again, it is said, Rejoice, O Gentiles, with his people. This is calling us that the Gentiles, by grace, can rejoice with the Jews. They're not excluded. They rejoice with his people, those Jews that have been converted. And this is, of all places, in Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy. And then again, praise the Lord, all you Gentiles, and let all the peoples extol him. And by all the peoples, it's all the nations, everybody, Jews and Gentiles. And this passage comes from Psalm 117. And finally, and again Isaiah says, the root of Jesse will come, even he who arises to rule the Gentiles, and him will the Gentiles hope. This is a passage from Isaiah chapter 11, where God is calling and saying, the root of Jesse, that's Christ, is going to ascend and rule even the Gentiles. So in other words, with these four passages, Paul has made it very clear. Christ came for Jews and Gentiles. This is not an exclusive club. And this is important. And then he says, May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing, so that by the power of the Holy Spirit you may abound in hope. Joy and peace are the gifts of being a member of the kingdom of God. You have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. You have peace with one another through our Lord Jesus Christ. And you have joy 
in knowing that all your sins are forgiven and life everlasting is yours. That gives you hope. And it is the Holy Spirit that is working that hope in each of us. Okay? In each of us. All right. Let me stop there. Any questions, comments? All right. And we'll keep moving. That's kind of the end of the theological portion of the book. There's a couple of more things, but now we get into what I'm calling, I will call, travel log. Okay? Travel log. Uh, 14. I myself am satisfied about you, my brothers, that you yourselves are full of goodness filled with all knowledge and able to instruct one another. What a brown noser. All right. So he's buttering them up. Tell them how wonderful they are. And there is a reason for that, and I'll get there. But he says these positive words. You know, Paul begins many of his letters... Uh, in the first chapter with some positive words about each congregation. couple, he doesn't. He's angry. But Galatians, he does not. But most of them, he begins something, uh, the letter with something very positive. Now this is toward the end of the book. He's commending them for being full of goodness, filled with all knowledge and able to instruct one another. That is a 180 degrees from what he said in the first chapter when he said they were horrible, sinful people. Okay? But now he's presented the gospel, and he presents this as they have been changed. But on some points, I have written to you very boldly by way of reminder because of the grace given me by God. I've written to you very boldly. And just about universally, people believe that this is referring back to the theme verse of all of Romans. 1, verse 16. For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone who believes. So he's pointing to this. Okay? Now, and a grace of God given to me, uh, or by God, to be a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles in the priestly service of the gospel. In other words, his service has been to be the person who is the primary spokesman to the Gentiles, who was chosen by God to do so, and goes about that task. And he's saying, I've done that task. Okay? 
I have fulfilled that task to this point. All right? To this point. And his priestly service is the proclamation of the gospel. Now, so that the offering of the Gentiles may be acceptable, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. The offering of the Gentiles. Now, you could look at that and say, well, um, you know, Paul did a collection. Uh, is he talking about the offerings that were collected? No. The offering of the Gentiles is the fact that when Paul preached the gospel to them and they came to faith in Christ, those Gentiles were people were actually an offering to God. This goes all the way back to um, chapter 12, that we are to be living sacrifices, living offerings. The preaching of the gospel that the Apostle Paul did made the Gentiles acceptable to God because of Jesus Christ. They came to faith in Jesus Christ, and all their sins were forgiven. And they became new people. And now this is a holy and acceptable sacrifice to God. Because they have been accepted, they have been sanctified by the Holy Spirit, and they're an offering that is acceptable to God. Very acceptable to God. Sanctified by the Holy Spirit. In Christ Jesus, then, I have reason to be proud of my work for God. We have dealt with that word pride. It's actually boast. The word there is boast. And uh, it's okay to boast in Christ Jesus. You cannot boast based on your own effort, based on your own work, based on what you do. You can only boast in Christ Jesus. And that's what he says. In Christ Jesus, then, I have reason to be proud of my work for God. Because it's all about Christ. The message is about Christ. The motivation is about Christ. The power comes from Christ. Salvation comes from Christ. And so in Him, we can boast to other people about our Savior. That's what He's saying. About our Savior. For I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me to bring the Gentiles to obedience by word and deed. Now there's that word obedience. We've been dealing with this throughout Romans. The Greek word there is not obedience. Okay? It's pointing us you see, as soon as we make that translation of obedience, it's saying they keep the law. 
but now listen to it the other way. Okay? For I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me to bring the Gentiles to faith by word and deed. By faith. So um, that's that's a, a that's a poor translation. We we need to to look at that because it can be uh, better. Obedience automatically implies the law. Okay? And he did this by the power of signs and wonders by the power of the Spirit of God, so that from Jerusalem and all the way through to Illyricum, I have fulfilled the ministry of the gospel of Christ. All right, what's being said here is this. Signs and wonders are the words that are typically used of the Old Testament plagues. And what they're pointing to here is the miracles that were done that attested to the truth of the gospel. Now, certainly the apostles did some, but certainly Jesus did some. And he did the miracles to attest that the gospel was true. So that's what Paul is saying here. By these signs and wonders, it was attested to the truth of of the gospel by the power of the Spirit, okay? By the power of the Spirit. And he says, from Jerusalem to Illyricum. Now, this is simply a geographical uh, uh, reference to the many places Paul had been from Jerusalem forth to spread the gospel and to start congregations. So he's saying, God used me in this ministry throughout this territory. I have fulfilled the ministry of the gospel of Christ. So this he's talking about the past, the past. And thus I make it my ambition to preach the gospel, not where Christ has already been named, lest I should build on someone else's foundation. But as it is written, those who have never been told of him will see, and those who have never heard will understand. This is from Isaiah chapter 52. And it is cited by Paul to say he is not going into territories that have already had the gospel preached. He's not going to try to go. He wants to go where people need to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ, in places where they have not heard. And that is his evangelistic fervor, to go where the gospel has not been proclaimed to Gentiles. Okay? Now that's, he's painted the past, 
He'd say, he says what he'd like to do in the future, and now he gets more specific. Okay. This is the reason why I have so often been hindered from coming to you. In other words, I've been busy. I've been busy. But now, since I no longer have any room for work in these regions, in other words, he's saying the gospel has been proclaimed in these regions, and since I have longed for many years to come to you, I hope to see you in passing as I go to Spain and to be helped on my journey there by you once I have enjoyed your company for a while. This is what Paul wants to do. Now, this is the example of his ministry. He began his ministry with the laying on of hands in Antioch. And they were his source of support and encouragement to go forth. Then, when he had gone farther west, Philippi became the next seat of support and encouragement for further progression of Paul. He's writing this letter from Corinth. Okay? We talked about that the first week, but that was quite a while ago. He's writing this letter from Corinth. He's now ready to move farther west. And just like Antioch and Philippi were his base, home base of support, he now wants Rome to be his base of support as he goes to Spain. He wants them to support and encourage him. Okay? Notice he says that he's only passing he has written this letter so that they have the doctrines and the foundation of the Christian faith so that he doesn't have to go over all that when he gets there. He is ready to move on. He wants their fellowship to be helped on my journey there by you. That implies in many ways, once I have enjoyed your company for a while. Now the question is always asked, and Spain's going to be mentioned again, did the Apostle Paul ever get to Spain? We don't know. There is one allusion in Clement of Rome, one of the early church fathers, that says he did. But we can't count on that. We don't know that that ever happened, but that was his plan. That's what he wanted to do, wanted to do. At present, however, I'm going to Jerusalem bringing aid to the saints. For Macedonia and Achaia 
have been pleased to make some contributions for the poor among the saints at Jerusalem. So that's what he's doing now. He's in Corinth. Going to retrace his steps back. Uh, and this offering is mentioned in Acts 20. It's mentioned in uh, 1 Corinthians 16. Mentioned in 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians 8 and 9. Of how, how the Macedonians set such an example by their offerings. They is going to take these contributions because from what we know, there was a great famine in the land at Jerusalem. And therefore, he was going to take these contributions to help deal with the famine. Okay? But then he says some interesting things. For they were pleased to do it, and they indeed owe it to them. Now, Paul is implying here that, of course, Christians first rose up in Jerusalem, and that the church has grown, and that other Christians now ought to help them out as the first ones, as the pioneers here. They ought to help them out. And then he gets even more specific. All right, he says, For if the Gentiles have come to share in their spiritual blessings, they ought also to be of service to them in material blessings. In other words, the whole church prospers because of Christ and spiritual blessings. The Gentiles have come to faith in Jesus Christ. Now, we help them. And Paul is painting here back to that word harmony. There is a unity in the Christian church that goes beyond this congregation and this congregation. There is a unity. So that's why we take up collections for churches that have been destroyed in tornadoes or hurricanes. We don't know any of those people. But they're fellow Christians. That's, the, what, that's what Paul is saying here. That's what Paul is saying. When therefore I have completed this and have delivered to them what was been collected, I will leave for Spain by way of you. I know that when I come to you, I will come in the fullness of the blessings of Christ. By the way, at no point in the New Testament is the delivery of these gifts ever recorded. We know that Paul went back to Jerusalem. And we know it says he was re re received gladly. But when and where he actually delivered the contributions, it, it's not mentioned. It's simply not mentioned. But he's going to do this. He's dedicated to doing this. Then he's going to come to them 
by way uh, so he can go to Spain. Okay? Uh, and he will come, as he says, in the blessings of Christ. So Paul has all these plans. How much are human plans work, worth? And we're going to talk about that next week because he asked for their prayers and he wants them to pray for specific things. We're going to see how God answered those prayers because we see it in the rest of Paul's life. But the fact is he has now painted what he's done in the past, what he'd like to do in the future. Uh, here in chapter 15. And we'll take it from there next week. Questions, comments? I had a professor that firmly believed at the seminary that he got to Spain. But that was conjecture. That was conjecture. Uh, it, it'd make a great story if he did. <laughs> be a fun story. But it's not in the, not in the scriptures. Acts, Acts 28 ends with Paul teaching in Rome. Goes no farther. Yes. Going to my Turkey. That's right. The Holy Spirit said no. And he went another way. Then we're going to see that that's going to happen again. Okay? So let's close there. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen.